Guys and gals, holidays are just around the corner, and we here at Velo News and Velo Press have some great gift ideas for that cyclist on your list. First up is an annual subscription to Velo News Magazine. Uh, because right now we have a special thing going on where if you subscribe to Velo News, you get a free Velo Press book of your choice. Uh, Peter Sagan, My World, Cyclist's Training Diary from Joe Friel, Feed Zone Table from Alan Lim, just a couple of the cycling books that are very popular over at Velo Press. There's Leonard Zinn's uh, Zinn in the Art of Mountain Bike Maintenance. That's a great one, too. You can go to velopress.com, subscribe to Velo News Magazine, and then pick the Velo Press book uh, that you would like to give that person. Also right now, mark your calendar on Monday, December 2nd. That is coming up. Velo Press is going to have a 72-hour sale all books will be 33% off, so you can give thoughtful gifts and better support our authors, including Leonard Zinn and Chris Case, uh, with a gift of a Velo Press book. All those can be found at velopress.com. Okay, let's get on with this week's podcast. Uh, welcome back to the Velo News Podcast. Fred Dreyer here. I am very excited to have a guest on this week's podcast. It's Rebecca Faringer. Faringer? Faringer? We're, we're going to figure that out. She is on the Kona Maxis Shimano Pro Cyclocross team. And Rebecca is very noteworthy. She is currently leading USA Cycling's Pro CX standings. She's having a great year on the national series. And as we head into uh, USA Cycling National Championships, Rebecca's definitely a Rider to watch. So I guess Rebecca set the record straight. Faringer, Faringer, Faringer. What uh, what should the good people be calling you at the races? Well, since you've asked, uh, the only proper way to say it is Faringer. Mm, very German. So as long as you're getting some phlegm in there, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I like it. You know, I have a difficult to pronounce German last name, Dreyer, but a lot of people call it a Dreyer, Dreyer, you know, it's just, it's, it's tough with these German last names. It is. And it, they're, they look easy to spell and easy to say, but the amount of pronunciations, once you've heard them all, you respond to them all. So it doesn't matter. They're all right in the end. Okay. So we'll just, we're going to go with, That's for the, case. we're going to go with Faringer today. Okay. All right. Yeah. Rebecca, like I said in the intro, you are currently leading the Pro CX um, standings. You are coming off a pretty successful weekend here, winning both events at the Supercross race in Suffern, New York. Um, I mean, does it feel different this year? What is it when you look at your performances this year? I mean, what are you attributing this success to? Uh, there's really a lot of things, um, sort of a cumulative effect. I'm in I don't know, I guess I would call it my sixth year of really high competition. So if I'm in the sixth year and not getting better, uh, then, you know, I've either peaked or, or something's the matter. So just a cumulative effect of all of this experience. Uh, and then two years ago, I had a bit of chronic fatigue overtraining syndrome. So that year started to flatten out. And last year, uh, I didn't have much training under my belt because I spent a lot of the off season just on the couch waiting for my systems to sort of reset. So I think this year I finally have a good base of, of training. I got in some pointy end work. Uh, the skills have really come around over the past years of cross. I've worked on mental game, and I've sort of committed to instead of just expecting to get better, 
sort of forcing myself to get better, both mentally and physically. And so, yeah, all the pieces are just sort of coming together and I've, I've put in consistent results and that luckily they've been good results. <laughs> are, is there one or two, uh, are there one or two races that you can uh, pinpoint this year where you really feel like it's all come together? Oh man. Um, that's really hard. I don't really think I can pinpoint just one. I feel like I have races where physically I feel really good, but mentally, uh, I fell a little bit flat like Pan Ams, uh, two weekends ago. I felt like my skills were on point. I felt like physically, uh, I was really there and I was sort of, you know, ready to, to tackle the day. And I had just a little mental lapse and, you know, I was fighting for second and found myself just sort of alone in third. And then there are races where I might be riding off the front, but it, I'm not really, you know, fighting for anything just because of uh, kind of who showed up. But I don't know, maybe those are the days where everything has sort of come together. But, but that's the funny thing. As an athlete, I feel like if I'm not struggling and suffering, that I'm not doing it right. And it might just be that on the day where everything comes together, I don't have to struggle and fight. And so it doesn't really feel like a challenge and like I'm not pushing myself and maybe not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or it's like, um, you know, it hurts just as much as it always does. But for some reason, you're way off the front and everyone's behind. And it's kind of like, oh, so that's what it feels like for everything to click. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so oh, now, so. Rebecca, you, you mentioned it before. This is your sixth year of high-level racing. You know, you've been a, uh, a familiar name on the um, North American cyclocross scene for the last few years. And the question I have for you is, does the scene feel any different this year than it has in years past? I feel like I've seen some... Um, chatter some conversation especially on social media about how some of the dynamics may feel a little bit different this year um there's a lot of overlapping dates on the national series for example and I, and i've seen some um criticism and conversation about the need for i guess a more cohesive calendar but before we get into that i guess a question for you is does it i mean does it feel any different this year it it does and i think the biggest thing for that and i I can only speak for myself and um, really for the women's side of thing, because uh, women's cyclocross in the U.S. and men's cyclocross in the U.S. are sort of two different entities. Um, so for the women, we well, the U.S. lost most of our C1 races. Mm -hmm. And though all of the UCI races are a part of the Pro CX calendar, the C1 races, those higher ranking races, really drew the top riders. And with a lot of those going away, um, the talent is sort of less dense throughout the throughout the racing calendar. Plus, uh, last year, Katie Compton was nearly exclusively racing in Europe. And this year, Katie Keogh is also over there racing nearly exclusively. And I just feel like um, sort of the top end of the female scene has, has been a little bit thin. And of course, here I am saying that, and I've been at that top end of the scene. And am I, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I'm only here because those top racers aren't showing up at the racers at the races that I'm at, or cause they're overseas, or maybe, you know, I'm just that much better this year. So it's, it's an interesting question, uh, to sort of face now that I'm at that top end. Am I at the top end only because it's thinner or am I viewing it as thinner because I'm there? <laughs> yeah. It's a tough chicken or the egg type thing. And, and look, I've covered cycling over the last 
you know, 15, 20 years. And I've seen this dynamic play out actually in the North American road scene as well, where there's some years where a lot of the top riders go to Europe and it opens the door for other riders to step into their place. And, you know, you can look at it on one hand as saying, oh, well, you know, the competition's just lighter this year. But a dynamic that I've seen come out of situations like that is that the riders that are able to step up, you know, they learn what it's like to win. And um, that experience of being able to win those races actually helps with their progression along the sport where it's like, yeah, okay, maybe there weren't the top athletes there to win, but like by being given the opportunity to win, it lets riders like take a step forward. And then they actually become better riders in the future because of situations like that. Yes, I would agree with that also. It's definitely a different experience finally winning a race and then feeling that need and having the confidence of saying, oh, I can do this. I have done this. This is how you do it. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned it before there. I mean, there are these scheduling um, difficulties and, you know, the lack of C1s where all the big races now seem to be C2s. Um, this past weekend, for example, you were racing at Supercross Cup and Clara Hansinger, who is you know another great North American uh, female rider who's racing in North America. She was in Indiana for the major Taylor Cup. And I, I was always curious, you know, when then there would be situations like this, if it's like, oh, man, there needs to be like a bat signal that goes up with the American, you know, cyclocross scene to say, here are the races that I'm going to be racing. And let's all like try to, you know, race each other week in, week out and and schedule the, the schedule makes sense. But I know it's completely impossible to do something like that. Well, I mean, it's not impossible if the, the if the infrastructure is there to incentivize. So, for instance, Clara's based out of Oregon, mm -hmm. and her team's based out of Oregon. It would be silly for her to bypass a race in sort of the middle of the country to come to the East Coast. But at the same time, I'm on the East Coast. I can either take a flight or take a drive. Um, so the choices for us are really simple. I would rather race Clara because she's been a benchmark for me all season, but financially, yeah, I kind of, I don't like you that much, Claire. I'm not going to spend, spend a few thousand dollars to, to face you. <laughs> um, so there has to be incentive, whether it's more UCI points or more money, or somebody is, you know, paying the athletes in their teams to get them further out there. So the incentive could be there, but it's just not this Interesting. year. So like, let's say it is the beginning of the season or it's the summertime and you're looking at the calendar and trying to plan things out. What are the steps that you go through? I mean, especially with this season where it is just, you know, it's a bunch of C2s. Yeah, there's the World Cup races, but there's not the C1s or the bigger payouts to lure everyone there. What are the factors that you are adding up on your, you know, your, your sheet before deciding which races to do? Well, I have a teammate, Kerry Werner. He's based out of North Carolina, and that's where um, our rig is based. And so a lot of my choice in what races I go to is, where's Kerry going to go? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, just because, you know, if he's the one driving the tents around, I'm going to go where they go. Uh, and then beyond that, I've had some extra decisions to make. For instance, um, right now, last weekend, we saw the Tabor World Cup, and this coming is the Coxeta World Cup, and those are Czech Republic and Belgium, respectively. And I was really debating on going to those races and skipping out here on um, some of the U.S. racing. And I didn't make my decision about whether I was going to go or not until after the U.S. World Cups. And so that um, kind of threw a wrench in the early season planning. But um, 
let's for instance uh you know, the early season, it's pretty easy. The C1s are, are isolated weekends, and then you have the World Cups. And I said, if I was getting top five in the World Cups, it would be worth it to spend the money and go keep racing the top uh, the top talents in the world, see if I can finish in the World Cup overall, because there's a decent payout. But when I saw, you know, I'm, I was kind of barely cracking the top 10, which is an awesome result, but it wasn't exactly where I wanted to be to make the financial commitment. And that's when I said, I'm going to focus on some U.S. domination, at least for the first half of the season and then you know continue over to the to Europe as I have been uh and see if I can crack world domination there so you know the the season structure it's uh it's a little bit of give and take what with the the team and just where physically um we're all sort of falling throughout the season American cyclocrossers have always faced a bit of a disadvantage on that end with the big world cups going on in Belgium, the Netherlands, the Czech Republic, and having to make these flights across. And, you know, Katie Compton has based herself out of there for a number of years. Um, you know, Katie Keogh is going over there this year. I remember Elle Anderson. I mean, at some point she made the full commitment to go live in Belgium and really uh, focus in on that series. I mean, is that something you've thought about? I mean, trying to create a program for yourself that gets you over there full time? So it's it's interesting that you bring up Elle because she's now back living in the U.S. and she's not racing anymore, but I think she's uh, helping out with the Killington Mountain School and she was just at the race in New York and she came over to the tent and we kind of chatted and she mentioned how last year when she wasn't feeling quite 100%, she saw that you know I was out there and having a good time and sort of doing well and she said, she admitted she felt a little bit of jealousy and she definitely is kind of missing out um, racing now that she's taken a step back. And she mentioned something that really resonated with me. Uh, she didn't regret her choice to go all in on uh, racing in Europe, but you know, cyclocross in Belgium, you can be a top American and you can still, you know, struggle for a top 20 result. And it sort of has made me appreciate, um, taking a step back from traveling over to Europe the past two years and focusing on racing in the U S because it's, it's a really nice experience to have a fan base that really appreciates you showing up to the races. They're very supportive. It's super one-on-one -on -one and friendly, uh, with the U S fans and, you know, being secure in where I am as a racer and feeling really confident and then going over to Europe and sort of getting my head kicked in and having a great time and striving for really good results. But if, I think if I were to go over there at least this year, maybe even next year, um, full time, I think I would, I would lose, lose some wind in my sails. I think it would just be tough physically, mentally, emotionally, not having, you know, it's one thing to have a support system over there, like a mechanic and uh, Swanee and anything like that, but to not have the friends and the family and on top of that, not be, you know, winning races, but instead saying, wow, I've, I've lost six months of my life to fighting for 30th place in a C2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and there's plenty of horror stories out there of Americans going over there and doing it and getting completely burned out. And, you know, there's other success stories of having it work out. But, I mean, it's tough. It's cycling. There's no guarantees that, like, just going over there to focus on it means you're going to start cracking the top tens or even, you know, getting onto the podium at these European World Cups, which I know um, there's, there's a tremendous financial uh, commitment you have to make. But like you mentioned, I mean... Um, going over there full time, saying goodbye to friends and family. I mean, if you have a job that you have to work, having to put that on hold, um, you know, that's 
that's not a, that's a big ask for a lot of people. It is. I think so. Last year, both Carrie and I flew out in the days after nationals in our our season of sort of two thirds U.S., a third European, and I think that is a really nice recipe. It's been super were great to be able to travel with Carrie and his wife, Emily, and sort of make our own support system there, have built-in friends, and not feel like you're missing out on, you know, the races in the U.S. There's nothing like, I've done it a couple times, or I guess I did one season, um, where I did some mid, one um, or two seasons, I forget, where I did some um, mid-season trips over to Europe. And there's nothing like, you know, spending a couple thousand dollars to go get 20th place mm -hmm. to, you know, see somebody that you're beating regularly get first place in a race. And, um, so it's, it's nice to be over there when you're not really missing out on anything here in the U S. Um, Rebecca, I just read this piece on you, uh, on CX magazine. It was a profile and, and I love origin stories. I love people's stories of how they got into the sport and, um, you know, your story is, is sort of a familiar one. You were in graduate school, you were a triathlete, and um, someone convinced you to try your hand at cyclocross. Um, tell us about that first cyclocross race and that first cyclocross experience. What was it about the sport that appealed to you, and what was it uh, that was frustrating and difficult? <laughs> or maybe it was one of the same. Remember. Maybe it was the frustrating and the difficult that was appealing. I don't know. Let's hear the, let's hear the story. So, so Maybe they maybe they are one and the same because my first reaction is nothing was frustrating or difficult. Um, but the thing that I love the most was how much time I spent on the ground, <laughs> which I guess some people would maybe call that frustrating and difficult. But I just remember it was in Providence, Rhode Island. I think it was either raining that day or it had rained the day before. So the course was pretty slippery and I was on a borrowed bike. I had no idea what I was doing and I was just falling a lot. And, um, some would argue that not much has changed. Uh, but <laughs> I just, I just remember laughing and I was hooked immediately. And I was, um, I was lucky that I borrowed the bike the first day. Cause I'm pretty sure I broke the front brake mm -hmm. and I loaned it to the girl who was going to borrow it for the second day of racing. And she was like, I don't know. I feel like the brakes aren't working. And I was like, Oh yeah, I totally think they weren't working when I got the bike. Yeah, that's right. That's why I was crashing so much. <laughs> And was it was it something about the? Because I mean, look, cr crashing on a bike sucks. Like I remember my first few cyclocross races and even mountain bike races, just crashing, and I didn't have a good time with it. But I think it was because I had a very sort of serious competitive attitude towards it. See, I I guess I didn't come into it with a serious attitude. Not to say I didn't, you know, respect it because I respect every time I, you know, take a line or enter any sort of a competition, but I just because I had no idea what I was doing, it's not like I could have expected to win or expected mm -hmm. to do well. And I have that first, you know, my first race in mind. And whenever somebody asks me like, oh, I'm going to start getting into cross. What's your one piece of advice? And my one piece of advice is always be willing to laugh at yourself and, and expect to laugh at yourself. And even this year, uh, Cincinnati, uh, let's see here. So our third and final C1 in the US. It was a couple weeks ago, home race for me. I was feeling great. I really wanted to do well. And then it rained. In that course, when it rains, you know, people say, oh, it rained. Now it's a mudder. No, that course doesn't get muddy. So it's not a mudder race. It is slippery like snot. It's hard packed clay and your tires don't get traction and your brakes don't do anything except make you look like Bambi on ice. And 
it's a frustrating situation. So after my pre-ride, I actually rolled up to Magalie and I just told her, not that she needed to know, but I needed to vocalize it for myself. This is just going to be one of those races where I'm just going to be smiling the whole time. And sometimes that's all you can do is smile so you don't get frustrated. I mean, here I am hoping to podium or win a C1 uh, in front of my friends and family. And, you know, I'm barely cracking the top 10, spending so much time on the ground. And I just, you just have to laugh sometimes because if not, you're just going to get frustrated and crash even harder. Where did that (laughs) wisdom come from? I mean, I'm sure that, that people have said that to me before, but I sort of learned it from dealing with my own feelings throughout my life. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I don't like to admit it, but I do anger easily. And I've learned that there are different ways to dealing with anger than just being angry. Like you have to embrace all of your feelings and go through the cycle of having them. It's not good to suppress them, but there's also healthy ways to, to deal with it. And for me, sometimes it's just saying this one's out of my hands all I can do is laugh. Like I'm, you know, (laughs) I can either pick up my bike and throw it, or I can just, you know, pick up my attitude and laugh at myself. And it's a more professional way of going about it. And maybe it's not super constructive in terms of getting better, but at least in the moment it's keeping, you know, it's keeping my head cool. I'm still having a good time. I don't feel like I'm really losing out on the opportunity because I don't know, at least I'm smiling. (laughs) I think it's great wisdom because I do think something about cyclocross is that everyone at some point struggles and everyone at some point like has those races where, yeah, you're slipping all over the place and it doesn't feel good. And it's not that much, you know, it, you know, it, it can be not that much fun. And I'm always interested in talking to pro cyclists and especially pro women cyclists. I think there might be a difference here about like moments in their progression, which where it like it got to be hard and the ways that they found ways to sort of overcome those natural obstacles. I think physiologically and uh, psychologically, women have a much higher tendency to value their safety. Mm -hmm. And and I think cyclocross is actually better for a lot of women who are a little bit too timid to mountain bike because, you know, they don't want to crash into a tree and maybe even are put off by road racing, Mm -hmm. which I am. I don't like racing crits or road because that is when crashing on a bike hurts. Like you can just fall down. Like once I was going five miles an hour and I hit a pothole and I bruised my tailbone and it hurt for two weeks. I crash a lot in cyclocross. And I mean, rarely is there a time where I'm not immediately back on the bike and going. Usually it's like, oh, I banged my knee and I'm like, ooh, ooh, for like five minutes like an idiot. And then I'm like, just kidding. I'm good to go. You know, that's the worst type of injury that I tend to have. Just the speeds are a little bit slower. The ground tends to be softer. Mm -hmm. And the races that you're falling more, it's usually because it's wet. And then when you fall on the wet, you're just sliding. And it's not like you're hitting pavement and sliding. You're hitting squishy mud and sliding. So, I mean – injuries in cyclocross are so much less and it's so spectator friendly and because the races are shorter and it's such a dense environment it's easy if you're there with family you know it's easy to like sort of trade off kid duty or whatever people blame as being an obstacle um for you know getting there and racing i think i don't know i think cyclocross is one of the most accessible sports the biggest problem with it is that it's a race and not a ride what advice do you tend to give women who are interested in either getting 
uh, involved in cyclocross or taking a next step up in cyclocross? I mean, if you're just getting started, I give the advice that I just spoke to earlier, be ready to laugh at yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of, not just, not just women, a lot of people, but women vocalize it more to me. Um, you know, I'm just not that good. I'm not gonna, you know, I'll get lapped in my response is a lot of people get lapped. Nobody starts out good. Some people never get very good. And I'm using good in terms of, you know, it's being judged simply by where you're placing. Um, but what's really great about cross is when you're in those more entry level fields, it's like everybody is sort of on the same playing field. You have the people at the front of the race that are looking to upgrade. And then you have the people that are like, I'm a cat four always been a cat four, always am a cat four, and I'm happy with it. And, um, you know, I think that that, uh, that's a really good part about cross is not everybody is concerned about upgrading. So, I mean, the advice there is, is define the reason you're there. Are you there for fun? Are you there to get better? Um, are you there to progress or do you just, do you just want to enter the race and participate? Because that is completely fine too. So my, that's, I guess for people getting into the sport and who want to progress is you have to define your goals going into each, each season and each race. Cause it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not helpful if you just keep throwing your name on the entry list and you're just sort of going at it blind. And then you might have feelings like I'm not getting better. Well, did you expect to get better? And then did you make a plan to get better? Or, you know, maybe you're disappointed with how you're placing. Like, do you care how you place? No, I guess not there. See, have a plan. <laughs> you know, looking at um, the uh, early part of your career then, was there a performance or a series of performances, series of results that you got that um, keyed you in that maybe you had an opportunity to be a uh, an elite racer? Um, I don't think I saw it for, I mean, heck, I think I'm still searching for that validation myself. Um <laughs> But my first race, I lined up, I was like 104th person called up or something, and I got 31st. And then the next weekend, it was a much smaller race. And I didn't know that with tubular tires that they lost a lot of air. So I just went to the start line and I started. And it turns out I started the race with two flat tires. So I had to come into the pit and somebody pumped it up for me. And, you know, the whole race was passing me. So I was like, I'm going to keep riding and I'll stop by the pit the next race, the next lap so you can pump up the rear tire. And uh, so with that, I still got second. And then the ne my third race, I got first. And then they said that I was done. And I was like, no, there's still somebody up there. They're like, no, you're about to lap that girl. I was like, oh crap. So then I entered another, I rent, I entered the one, two, three race, um, later that day and I got sixth and I just kept progressing and progressing and other people were telling me like, wow, you're really good at this. Um, so I entered the UCI field my first year and, um, at, so you're, you said that you were at the Boulder nationals, um, mm -hmm. however many years back, that was, uh, national championship. And it was my first year of racing. Um, so I never really thought like, Hey, I'm really good at this. It was more other people told me I was really good. And I was like, Oh, sweet. If you think I'm good, I'm going to keep throwing everything I have at this. And, uh, yeah. And it, I frankly kept progressing for the first, um, I'd say two to three years until I finally hit that, you know, plateau that, uh, I kept throwing more training at. And that's when I fell into the sort of overtraining, um, cycle that I'm just now climbing out of. 
Interesting. You know, what role did the uh, Amy D Foundation team play in your progression? You rode with Amy D in uh, 2015, and um, I know that that program has, you know, it, it looks for talented women on the uh, upswing and how it can help them. I mean, the Amy D Foundation was sort of uh, everything to uh, to my progression in the sport, and I owe a lot to the Amy D Foundation. I'm still mildly involved with um, and hope I am on some level for the rest of my career just because it is such an incredible foundation, um, you know, based off of such an incredible individual that inspired so much within the community. Uh, so the Amy D Foundation itself, they supported me for two years, actually. And not only did they, you know, get me to the races and get me, you know, hooked up with all of the equipment I need. And um, so the first year, the Amy D Foundation, the first year that I rode for them, we were sheltered under another team, uh, which was then the Raleigh Clement team uh, owned by uh, Don, who is now the owner of the Donnelly team. Anyways, um, and that is where I met Carrie Werner, who is now my teammate. Um, and the friends I made under that under that year as an Amy D rider with that team, I mean, I'm still friends with all of them. And I, I don't know, it was just the most incredible experience. And then my second year, I was able to go to Europe. And I did, I did Zonhoven, and I did the World Cup in Valkenburg, and I did all of these cool art, like just amazing races. And it wouldn't have been possible if not for the support of the Amy D Foundation. What do you think other female cyclists can learn from your progression in cyclocross then um you know someone who got into it uh had a good attitude towards racing not taking it too seriously benefited from some of these teams and organizations that were designed to help women progress in the sport um, what can others learn from your um your progression uh, i don't know about that actually um i've never really thought about that <laughs> I think just in general it doesn't even have to be cyclocross it could just be looking at like I came from being a mediocre runner to a mediocre triathlete to you know excelling at cyclocross and I'm not saying that cyclocross is the ticket for everybody but just because you've been trying something like I loved running and it was everything to me. I just wasn't very good at it. Um, so you can love something and you just have to decide, do you want to do what you love or do you want to do what you're good at? And it turns out, um, I also love cyclocross secretly. I think it's because there's running in it and people might be surprised. Like, Oh, I can't believe Becca loved running so much. It just makes me, makes me really happy to run. I don't know why. Um, so, yeah, you, I mean, just because you've been doing something for a long time doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get better at it. Uh, and that's sometimes hard for people to hear. I know I've met a lot of women or, you know, younger girls who they've kind of been in the sport for a long time. And I think sometimes they might look at my progression and say like, well, you know, I know your first year you were getting such and such at this race. And then the next year you did this and I'm not seeing that. And it's like, well, people progress at different rates. And frankly, sometimes people just haven't found their sport yet. Um, so I think being patient and understanding where you are mentally and, you know, physically, cause a lot of times younger girls see the progression and they expect it to happen that quickly, but 
it takes a long time for your body to adapt to all of the training stresses, not to mention any other physical changes that might be going on. So just patience and being willing to try different things if, uh, if you haven't found what you love. So Rebecca, we're a few weeks out from the national cyclocross championships going on outside of Tacoma, Washington. And, um, what are your goals for this race? What's the mindset that you're going to take in to nationals? Uh, my goal is to win. <laughs> Good goal. Yeah. So, um, this is funny. I was actually thinking about this very specifically, uh, on a run the other day, my goal is to win. And it feels ridiculous to say that because, um, for those of you that don't know, there has only been one winner, one winner for the women's elite cyclocross race for the last, you know, 15 years has been Katie Compton. Uh, I'm pretty sure Katie Compton's going to race this year. So her track record lends it to be anybody else winning is sort of a ridiculous thing. Um, but my goal is not just to win. It's really to beat Katie Compton. So then I had to reflect, like, what if I don't win, but I still beat Katie Compton? <laughs> like, did I meet my goal? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. I really want to win nationals, but then I'm like, am I ready to be national champion? Like, you know, my teammate just won the Pan Am championships and I haven't seen him in his Pan American Jersey yet, but I don't know if he knows the weight that that Jersey has. Like, you know, he's representing two whole continents and I, you know, I envision winning that race, but man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for anyone but Katie to be national champion. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's kind of the climbing Mount Everest of um, American cycling. I mean, I remember I had uh, just started at Velo News as an intern when she won her first. Um, I, was, I was 23 years old. Now I'm almost 40 and I have a child. And <laughs> the world has changed. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems to be this insurmountable uh, task for, in American cycling, which is strange to say. And, and I guess, you know, you answered it in that uh, last answer you gave, but, you know, you can't go into something like that thinking it's impossible, right? You have to, you have to keep the possible yeah. alive in your mind. I guess the question is, like, just yeah. how do you do that? If anybody finds the answer to that question... Um, please feel free to reach out to me. <laughs> um, well, I've, I've been working a lot on my self-efficacy and my confidence in my own abilities to do things. And I've beat Katie Compton before. Granted, she was having like asthma attacks or leg cramping or, you know, any, any variety of, of physical ailments, um, and that's by no means the way that I would want her to lose a national championship. I don't want anyone to lose a race due to those reasons. Uh, but I think, you know, Compton, if she's going to go down, she has to go down like swinging hard. And, uh, so I'm just, I imagine I, I visualize on almost every single ride. I visualize, you know, a sprint against her at the finish line or a tactical move in the middle of a race or, um, you know, just, I think about the mindset I want to be in and I've yet to harness that mindset in an actual race. I think 
like in a race, I'll catch myself thinking about things. I'm like, what are you thinking about? Like, that's not even, you're not even doing that right now. Like you're thinking of packing for the next weekend. You're freaking racing right now. And, um, I think I need to, I need to really harness the mindset and I hope that nationals, it comes around and I don't find myself halfway through the race thinking like, well, she's up there. She's just going to win it. You know, I hope I can harness what I've been practicing, which is thinking like, empty the legs now to bridge and you know leave it all out there i would rather collapse after three laps because i've been giving it 110 percent than finish the race and be like well i didn't win and i feel fine <laughs> well rebecca i appreciate you coming on the podcast today again it's rebecca faringer who is leading the pro cx standings and is very hopeful for Cyclocross Championship. Rebecca, I'll let you get back to your afternoon. Thank you for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Fred.